All right, guys. I haven't done an interview in a while on the final score. And to say I'm excited about this, this guy coming on the show tonight is an understatement. Back in the 80s, one of the main reasons I watched Channel 5, and anybody knows, if you ever heard Tom Suter say, say Jelly Roll, you knew Jay Jennings was coming on. But what you guys, if you know me, you know I do a little bit of videography. And this guy right here is the main reason that I do video. I did videography. I got into it. With me to now is the legendary WRL figure, Mr. Jay Jennings. Welcome to the show, Mr. Jennings. Stevie, thank you. Thank you. Your, your intro is in, way too kind. And uh, I just want to know when it comes to the whole your videography career, are you giving me credit or are you blaming me? I just, I, I want to make sure. That well, that depends on what people think of it, but I, I have had a few comments. You're, you're all right. You're all right. Oh, well, good. good. I, 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 but you're, you're, you're very kind. Thank you very much. Yep. First of all, thank you for coming on. Like I said, we've been trying to get this together for a little while and uh, COVID struck, yeah, its, struck its head on me and we couldn't get it going, but uh, now we got it going. So first of all, you grew up in Missouri. Were you a sports fan, and and who did you pull for if you were a sports fan out in Missouri? Absolutely, a sports fan growing up. Um, Cardinals baseball fan, a St. Louis football Cardinals fan. Because remember, the Cardinals were in St. Oh, Louis yeah. before they moved to Arizona. My and my parents had season. My parents and grandparents had season tickets the whole time they were in town. So went to a ton of those games. Uh, St. Louis Blues, uh, hockey, and then University of Missouri was my that I ended up going to school there. Went to a bunch of games. My parents uh, and grandparents are alums of the University of Missouri, and and now my son went to the University of Missouri. So okay. that was that was my background. So here's the deal: <laughs> I go to University of Missouri to their journalism school, and uh, and I, I go there because. I want to be a sportscaster. I want to, I, I want to be around it. You know, you know, it's, I, I, I'm, I realized pretty quickly I'm not big enough, not fast enough. Don't jump high enough. Uh, don't throw it hard enough uh, or any of those things to be able to do, to play baseball, football, basketball, whatever. And, uh, but I want to be around the game. So I, I go, I decide I've got this figure. I've got, I'm going to game the system. I'm going to go to journalism school and be a sports journalist. There aren't any of those out there, and that's how I'm going to do this. And then I get to the University of Missouri, and there were about 100 to 200 other folks who had the same brilliant idea. <laughs> and then I got there and figured out when it comes to being on the air, being the Tom Suter, Bob Holiday, Jeff Gravely uh, on camera part, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I wasn't very good at all. And so... Uh, <laughs> I fell in love with the, the videography side, the photography side. And uh, that's kind of, that's, that's the path that led me eventually to WRL. Now, talk a little bit about how did, how did WRL come into picture? Uh, uh, North Carolina, Missouri, how, how did that happen? Okay. So as an, as an ACC sports fan, you know the name Mike Hogwood. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Legendary. Uh, so Mike, Mike, this it's a it's a long way around to get this. Bottom line is I did a freelance video assignment uh, one 
for four or five days in Kansas City at the Royals. The Royals were, were playing a series. Mike Hogwood was working at a little station in Fort Myers, Florida. The Royals trained in Fort Myers. Mike would come up every year to do feature stories on the Royals because they had a big fan base of Royals fans in, in Fort Myers. And he needed, a, he needed somebody to run a camera for him. Uh, somehow he got my name. I went over, spent a few days with him, got to know Mike. And he was one of the first people outside of the Missouri alumni connections that I got to know who was actually in the business, in, in, in the broadcasting business. And so we just, we, we maintained our friendship. So um, it's graduation time. I'm, uh, I'm leaving school. I'm, look, I'm looking for a job. So I, I send my resumes out. I get word. I get an get a inquiry from WRAL from one of my resumes. They're in North Carolina. I've never heard of this place. I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if Raleigh would, would you know, I knew, what, I knew Raleigh was where Barney went to party. You know, I knew that's where he used to go to the YMCA. <laughs> um, but I wasn't sure if it had a hyphen in it with Durham. I didn't know anything. So I called Mike because Mike grew, I knew Mike grew up in North Carolina. And so I had uh, uh, two or three, two or three kind of semi offers on the table. And I remember Mike telling me, whatever you do, whatever you do, you want to work at WRAL. He said, it's in the heart of the ACC. It's right across the street from NC State. You know, and this is, so this is in my 1980. So, you know, they've got a national champion. They just hung a banner just six years ago. Right. Uh, in 1974 with David Thompson. And he says, you know, uh, put all the chips on WRAL and go for that. You, you will not be sorry. And uh, I am very grateful to this day for, to Mike. Uh, I, I wouldn't be at WRAL if it wasn't for Mike Hogwood. Right. What was your first impression? You know, you didn't know about Riley. What was your first impression when you got to Riley? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of research once, once, I, once Mike told me that. Um, and uh, so the, the sports department at the time was Rich Brenner was the sports director. Tom Suter was doing weekends, uh, and and that was it. That was the entire sports department. Whenever I came to town, and uh, that day on my first on my job interview, uh, when they, I flew out, Rich took me. Rich and Tom took me to uh, a Duke State basketball game at Reynolds Coliseum in February. Oh wow! Yeah, you think you think I'm turning the job down now? No. <laughs> I wouldn't have. And as a matter, as a matter, yeah. And as a matter of fact, so this is a Duke team that's got Jaminski still playing, Gene Banks, Kenny Denard, you know, Vince Taylor. It's a really good team. They got up on state, um, and so um, let me think. This would have been the '80 season. So this was Wittenberg and Sidney Lowe and Thurl's freshman year. Hawkeye Whitney was a senior. Um, and Duke got a huge lead. We got when we got there. I think I think Duke was up in the first the first three four minutes. They were up by like 14, 15 points. And uh, next thing you know, second half state goes on this huge run. Reynolds is just rocking like you know like Reynolds would rock. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I could I could see me right down over there in the corner. I was we were up in the crow's nest, and I could I said I, I could just picture me down there in the end zone on the baseline. Uh, and little did I know what I would witness on that baseline and the other baselines over the over the coming over the coming years. Wow. 
Oh yeah, definitely had it. You definitely had a great job to have around that time, especially. You talked about Tom Suter. Yep. What was it like working with Tom Suter? Uh, well, Stevie, you'll love this story. Um, I probably hadn't been at the station a week when Tom pulled me aside and said, you seem like, and so this is like March, 1980. Okay. You know, a previous millennium, we're talking, you know, 41 years ago. And Tom says, you seem like a nice young man. And I was 21 years old at the time. Um, he said, I'm not going to be around here very much longer. I'm, as soon as I get my profit sharing, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to retire. I'm going to get out of here. Well, we see yeah. how that worked out, don't we? Yeah, yeah, that did. <laughs> that didn't working happen. With, working with Tom, or back to your question, but working with Tom is fantastic. I, uh, especially in those early years, because, you know, uh, again, when I started, Tom was the weekend sportscaster, which meant for three days a week, three to four days a week, he was going out doing stories with me. That's who I worked with most every day. We would, you know, whether it was, um, we'd go down to the, the Campbell basketball camp and, you know, and then they'd, you'd interview, you know, press Maravich and, um, and all any ACC star who was anybody at the time would be the Ralph Sampson, you know, Hawkeye, Whitney, Mike Jaminski, any of those guys were there. Um, and you, so we did a bunch of those. We did a bunch of um, a ton of, um, you know, ACC baseball, ACC basketball, ACC football, a lot of NASCAR in the early days. Tom and I did so many, we, you know, we did qualifying. I, get, I lost count of the number of times we would go, we'd, we'd go cover qualifying. We'd, we used to rent, we used to charter a small plane to fly to Darlington to cover qualifying at Darlington. We'd landed a little grass strip outside of turn three and, and, and it was owned by a mom, uh, this old woman, old, old man and old woman named Mr. Ms. Moore. And Ms. Moore would load us up in the back of her station wagon and drive us over to the press gate and pick us up after qualifying was over. That's, I mean, that, that's, so Tom and I did stuff like that all the time. It was just, I mean, it was fantastic. It, yeah, was, it was just nothing, so many wonderful adventures. Yeah, there was nothing like Channel 5 sports, especially back then. Uh, Jeff Grabber. Now he came on a little bit later. Yep. But what was it like working with him? Digger was something else. Uh, so here's a this is this is one of my. Uh, and Jeff told this story too. So uh, I was at work one day, and so this uh, and I get a call from some kid going to NC State uh, who told me he wanted to be a sportscaster. he no, he wanted to be a sports photographer. And he, uh, he had just uh, quit playing baseball at state and decided that you know, sports photography, sports videography was what he wanted to do. And could he come talk to me? Well, it was Jeff. And uh, so Jeff comes over and we, I, could, I remember the day just like it was yesterday, sitting in the conference room at the TV station and talking to him and just how bright and how, what a sponge he was and how much as a, you know, at the time, he's probably 21 years old. Uh, he was, he, how much ACC history he knew. And, you, and you know, he's a, co he's a coach's son. So he also knows the game. He, know, he knows the ins and outs of everybody. He doesn't just know the scores and the history. He knows why, you know, the plays that get it done, why it was, you know, situ game situations and all that sort of stuff. Well, we end up, uh, if, 
we end up hiring Jeff as an intern in the sports department as a result of my our meeting together. And then later on, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Jeff didn't, once he became a full-time employee at the TV station, he didn't start in the sports department. Jeff was a news photographer for about, for probably less than a year, but he was a news photographer going out and shooting car wrecks in the legislature and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. All that boring and stuff. Uh, just doing, you know, doing what, doing what news, news photographers do. And uh, though, so there was a little trickle down. Uh, I was offered the job as the chief photographer of the newsroom. And uh, so part of that, the little game of checkers we played was, well, if you're going to take that, then we're, Jeff, it really wants to be, he's really good at the news thing, but boy, he's going to be great doing sports. So that's when we hired Jeff to be the sports photographer. And that, so that's what led that, so led that, led us down that path. I think at the time we had, so that made the sports department, Bob, Tom, Bob Holiday, Jeff Gravely, Rick Sullivan, and then I would come in and, you know, and help out on the weekends. So that was, that was a, a great team to be with. I mean, you talk, you talk about a team. That was a team with a capital T. Yeah, I actually watched – another thing I watched, I, I spent all day pretty much watching a lot of those videos, was, was Stuart Scott at ESPN showing the, the football game <laughs> where he uh, – he got gravelly and gravelly claimed he was out of bounds. And then he, yeah, that, that was so great, great to see, to see Stuart Scott up there again. Oh. Stu was, Stu was fantastic. Um, you know, he, he wasn't there that long, but um, it was, it was pretty, his talent was pretty, pretty evident. I mean, when he, you know, here's the deal. He came there with the idea of, I want to be, I want to get in the, the WRL sports department, but no openings ever popped up while I was there. And so eventually he got a job in Orlando uh, with, with some friends of ours who actually used to be at WRL who hired him down there and who uh, John Harris was his name or still, it still is his name as a matter of fact. And uh, John's the first one who actually put Stewart on the air, as far as I know, as a sportscaster in a major market. And, you know, Golly, I mean, just, just a gen, you know, as we as we talk about uh, in sports, a generational talent. Stu was a generational talent when it came to when it came to sports casting. I mean, he's he he changed it. You know, he's he yeah, was one of those two or three guys at, at at the mothership at Bristol at ESPN who changed sports casting for everybody. Yeah, he, and, he, and, he, and let me just say this: the best guy the absolute best guy. Uh, a, a quick story on that. When my son was uh, getting ready to go to college, Jason wanted to ask me, he said, so Stuart was already at Bristol, already at ESPN. And, you know, was already one of the top guys there. And Jason asked me, he said, dad, do you think uh, Stuart would ever give us, ever let me come give us a tour of, of, of the studios at, at Bristol? So I could always ask. And so I got up with him and, and reached out to him and he said, uh, he said, Oh, absolutely. So we, we had, we booked this whole trip to new England. We, we built it around Red Sox games and the basketball hall of fame, the baseball, all of this stuff. And we called it operation Booyah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and so Stewart was, was co-anchoring the 11 o'clock sports center 
with Dan Patrick that night. And he said, come to the studio. It was about, I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, uh, he, uh, um, he said, just come on by. And so he showed us around, gave us the big tour, and then uh, proceeded to let Jason be an active part in writing his scripts that night for the sports center. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I remember, I remember Jason, Jason wrote a, a, there was a script that had to do with Keyshawn Johnson that he wrote and a couple others. And it was just, I mean, uh, and then, you know, at the end of the show, he, he takes the big stack of scripts, sign autographs them for him and hands it to him. Uh, it was just, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Wow. Was fantastic. What a guy. And, he, and I just, you know, he, he was, uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wish I'd had more contact with Stuart over his ESPN years. We'd always hook up whenever he came to town. At least, you know, he'd come to the, a lot of times he'd come to the TV station when he was doing, you know, late night with Roy or something like that. So he'd always swing by and say hello to the, the, the old, the old crew. And uh, man, I love that guy. I, I mean, he, he's the best. He yeah. still is the best. Yeah, sir. Now, one of the things you were a part of that got a big tradition started still to this day, football Friday. Now, yep. man, when I was playing, we were at a small school, so we didn't get, you know, nobody. We actually did have Channel 5 come. Suter came down one year, 1986. We had the extra effort award winner, J.D. Daniels. And, and if we – oh, when I saw Sky 5, I, was, I wasn't a varsity player. I was a JV player. Then, but we had a game that day, so we were in our uniforms. And here he comes down there. And nice. They, they had us on the air. I actually got have that on YouTube. And man, I was like, I was looking at Tom Suter like, oh my gosh, it's really him. But football Friday, that was after we played, we made sure we stayed oh. up Friday night and, and caught up such a and I mean that just started out as part of the sports cast. Then it became so big that it yeah, actually yeah. became a, a bit uh, its own show. What was it like going? How hectic yeah, was well, it for you guys to go around to, to cover all these games? It, it was pretty hectic and, you know, but it, I think we loved it. I know. I think we loved it. I know we, we absolutely loved it. Uh, I mean, so here's, here's kind of the inside scoop. And I think some of the, some of the folks have probably figured this out. You could take the number of games that we had on the air, divide it by two. And that's how many people we, how many crews, how many cameras we sent out to the different, to the different games. So, you know, we, Tom was always pushing, always trying to push to be, we need 30 games. We need 30 games. Well, you got to find 15 cameras and 15 people to run them. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, occasionally you'd, you'd, we'd have somebody who could do three games. I did three games on several occasions. Uh, but it was fun. And, you know, one of the things I loved about it, Stevie, was – and I'm not saying that uh, covering college sports and pro sports isn't fun and, pe and people don't appreciate you being there, but there's something about uh, – whether it's a Hal Stewart or a Gary Fowler or a Bobby Poss or a Gary, any one of these guys, I mean, Ken Browning, you name them, turning to you during the game on the sidelines and saying, thanks for coming. We really do appreciate you being here. That, you know, that, that's fantastic. And then, you, you know, you, you're, there's a lot of the guys you run into, like the Bernie Caps. Bernie was the, the, the manager and equipment manager and trainer at, at Rocky Mount High for years and years, who always, always greeted you with a, a cup of sun drop on, on the <laughs> sidelines and in a program to make sure you make sure you had the numbers. So it was just it, it's 
it was fantastic. And then, of course, there's the adrenaline of uh, covering a great game and hustling back to the game. Because back in those days, you know, now we've got all the the technology where, you know, a guy can you – know, shooter can somebody can cover a game and they get they they get to a wi-fi signal they get to an internet signal they can just do it on their laptop and send it back and back in the day man i had i had a, had a video cassette in my hand i had to hustle my tail back you know down 64 or, or back up 40 or something and uh slam it edit bay and try to get, try to get it done by you know back sometimes 11 15 because it used to go on 11 15 then yeah. eventually 11 30 um so, so there's that adrenaline. And then, then one of the things that was always cool, especially once it grew and grew and the crews got bigger to more and more people <clears throat> um, is that uh, you get back and now it's like, you want to hear, you know, you heard on the radio or on the two way radio that somebody had a great game. They had some 54, 52 shootout. You want to, you want to get the story from them, but you got to edit your story. And, you know, it's, but there was a lot of that kind of, uh, excited to hear what everybody else saw. And one of the things is I found out just a few years ago, <coughs> um, Ryan McGee of ESPN, uh, we, we reconnected, Ryan and I have known each other for a while, but I found, I, I never could remember how, and I, how Ryan and I got to know each other. We got to know each other because he used to help on Football Friday. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, it, while you're on the subject of, of doing the editing stuff, I, I was watching the behind yeah. the scenes with you. They had the behind the scene video where you went to a state <laughs> game. How I've got to ask you, it's just amazing. How did you come up with clips in that short sure. of time? Because I mean, a lot of times with a when they had, used to have the Channel Five, used to have the Holly Farms or the Jefferson Pilot Game of the Week, it would be over like. 10 30 11 o'clock yeah. and how how did you go about getting the clips that quick so so there's there's a couple things they, they we we did a little the thing that you you watch was a little bit uh i don't want to say it wasn't fictionalized it's that's not right we was kind of telescoped normally i would say 99 times out of 100 if i was going to do a, a, a video a photo essay a video montage with music um, I shoot the game one day and it's on the air either the, like shoot the game one day and I edit it on another, you know, sometimes like during football season, I'm shooting it on a Saturday and editing on a Monday. Or if it's a, if it's an ACC college, ACC weeknight game, let's say it's Wednesday night and it runs on Thursday at six o'clock. So I would spend the full day. So normally those were, they were a long eight to 10 hour edit uh, of putting those, putting that stuff to music. And cause what I would do is uh, I don't just, I, I couldn't, I, I wish I had a good enough memory to do this where I could go, Oh, there's a shot. I've got that shot of Jimmy Valvano jumping up and down. I want to put it with the Thurl Bailey dunk over here and go with that, that shot of the guy in the end zone, you know, jumping up and down with the, with the sign. But I, I can remember some of that, but boy, you shoot so much stuff. So what I do is the first part of that edit process, you're not editing at all. I would get out a legal pad and I'm scanning through the video and I'm making notes of, of the shots I've got. So I would spend probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours just logging the logging the video before I would ever start editing. Because to me, if I don't know what I have, 
then I can't edit it. Then I'm just guessing. Because, you know, or then you go, oh, I forgot all about that shot that I had of the, you know, that great dunk by, you know, um, by Worthy in the second half. I forgot all about it. So you, you, I, I learned to log and write it all down. And that's, that's, so that's how I did it. It really was, it wasn't immediate. Now, the, the stories that I would do with Tom or Bob or, or Jeff or myself, uh, you know, it's, the, it's like a, an 8 o'clock tip game over at, t- at 10, 10, 15, and we're having to do a story at 11 o'clock. Yeah, th- those were, yeah, we would, we would slam out a lot of those. And that's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but usually yeah. when we did that, usually, not always, usually we would have, it's two people, one's, One's the one's the photographer editor, one's one's doing the writing. But you know, we do a lot of those even today, where it's one person is is it's a it's, now they used we used to call them one man bands. We now call them multimedia journalists. That's the name for <laughs> one person who does it all. So you you uh you got to cover some I mean great sports figures, ACC basketball back then, uh, Michael Jordan, James yep. Worthy. The but yep. how. How, how do I say this? What was the feeling like when you started covering that 83 NC State team? I'm a Car- I'm a Carolina fan, but I can tell you, yeah, yeah, you doing the Hunger Like the Wolf video and and having them beating Carolina, I was like, that would yeah. make me a State fan right there, just watching. But what was it like? <laughs> what was it like covering that team? Well, so there is a, there's some Carolina background to that. Uh, one is um, the fact that, you know, I got here in 80. Um, and so uh, we really didn't have in, in 1980 in the NCAA tournament, we only had one team go very far and that was Duke. And I didn't go on that trip. Tom Suter was, was covering Duke at the time. So he, he went to Lexington and that's where they ended up losing to Purdue and Joe Barry Carroll, uh, I think in the regional final. Uh, but I didn't. I, I only covered a couple of NCAA tournament games in, in Greensboro, and State lost early. Um, and Carolina, if I remember right, they lost. They lost. Uh, I think in Texas, maybe to Texas A&M, early in, in the in the tournament. Anyway, so so the background is the next year, '81, Carolina goes to the Final Four in in uh, in Philadelphia, <laughs> and so I covered that. That was my first Final Four. Was you know was my second year at WRL, and everything going uh, on. And then, <laughs> oh, and then so the next year in '82, now Bob Holiday has started at Channel Five, and Bob and I go to the Final Four in New Orleans for you know, and everybody knows what happens there. Seven, you know, Michael was 17 seconds draining the jumper over you know over Georgetown. Um, so I'm you know I'm kind of liking this Final Four thing, man. It's kind of you know. <laughs> I'm kind of down with it. Uh, so the next year, um, if I remember right, um, you know, obviously State goes and Carolina goes. Uh, and so they tell Tom goes with Carolina uh, in 83. And, the, and I go with, they tell me, go with State. You're going to go to Corvallis, Oregon. I'm like, where is Corvallis, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Uh, I go out there. Uh, after covering all the games in the ACC tournament, which were, you know, as you know, in 83, all ridiculous that, you know, all, all the state's wins there were, were just crazy. Yeah. Last minute wins, you know, I mean, having to beat, 
come had to come from, come back and beat Wake, who they just beat by like 30 four days before, and then defeat Carolina, who they'd not beat. Well, they they just beaten in the toward the end of the regular season, but you know, so Carolina was out for revenge, and then Big Ralph in the in the ACC tournament final. So that all right. All that to say, I go to I go to Corvallis with the orders. Get this, with the orders of pack pack for a, a long trip because after state loses to UNLV, you're going to fly out to Syracuse to be with Tom and to cover Carolina because Carolina's going to the Final Four. That was that was my orders. So I'm out there in Corvallis, and there's. See, there's nobody there. I mean, as far as North Carolina media, there's there's maybe four of us, five of us. You know, guy from the guy guy from the News and Observer, guy from the Raleigh Times. I think Don Shea from Channel Eleven was there eventually, and but there was like nobody there. And you know, we're staying at the same hotel with in Corvallis at State, uh, and and so they just keep winning. They just keep winning. And, and understand, so this is 83, so I am 24 years old. So, and that's a senior-laden team. So, I mean, I'm, I'm basically the same age as a lot of as the seniors on the team. And one of the things that happens in, they, after they win the first two games, they go to Ogden, Utah for, their, for, yeah. the, uh, for the regionals. Um, again, I'm staying in the same hotel. I believe it was Thurl. I think Thurl was rooming with Witt. I think that's a, Derek Wittenberg. And they invited me to come up to their room to watch a movie. And so I could just remember this. I just felt like this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm watching movies with these guys. And, and you know, they're. <laughs> and, so, and then, you know, then they, then they went again. And then they went, they beat, they beat Virginia again. And now, you know, now it's time to go to Albuquerque. Now, Bob, I, I finally get to go home. I hadn't gone home from the time I went from Corvallis through the uh, through the end of the, the Ogden Regional. I hadn't been home in two weeks. So, you know, I finally get to come home, you know, throw a little bit of laundry in, uh, you know, at my wife. Um, by the way, just to let you know that um, both of our kids, I have two, two children, both of my kids were born in the month of March. So I always say at our house, March, March madness means that my wife was mad at me most of the month because I was gone for all the birthday. Yeah, we can, we can laugh about that today. <laughs> um, but anyways, so Bob and I go, Bob and I go to Albuquerque and it was just, um, it's hard to believe. It's just hard to believe how, um, what we were, what we were witness to. I mean, the one thing I remember, I mean, there's a lot of things I remember but I have a distinct memory of during the championship game, we had one seat on press row. So, uh, so that was Bob's. Bob was sit on press row. And I would be back in, in this auxiliary gym on the far side or the outside the pit, because that was, you know, the name of what they call what they call the you know, University of Mexico arena. They had that's where they had the, the rest of the media where we would watch and record the games there. because um, I you can't shoot in the NCAA tournament game. Um, because of rights issues. So I'm back there recording the game and Bob comes back at halftime and says, you want to come out and watch the first part of the first half of the second half? Oh, absolutely. And so, I, you know, the, the thing was, 
I stay out there until about, you know, the 10 minute mark. And then we, we swap and well, I go back out for the first, I'm out there to start the second half. Houston goes on this ridiculous run. I, I think they, they go on like a 12 to 14 point run and state yeah. is just wobbling big time. You know, coach V calls a timeout. I think we don't even get to the, the, the 16 minute timeout. And well, I'm not a superstitious guy, but I knew I had to get the heck out of there and get Bob back in that seat. And the funny thing is Bob knew the same thing. I met him in the hallway. We were on a dead sprint passing each other. And I just, we just passed each other our press passes back and forth. So we, so he could get back on his seat on press row. So if you want to know what the key to state winning in 83, it was Bob, we got Bob back in the, uh, the yeah, seat on the press row at the pit. The switch Bob holiday was the good luck. Yep. yep. So, Yep. Yep. Then you started with the hunger like the wolf. I mean, that was going on during the ACC tournament after they beat mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, what gave you the idea to do the hunger like the wolf song with 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 them? I mean, it's obvious, but yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it was you know the 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 song actually kind of got got popular if I remember right. Uh, sometime after the first of the year, like uh, early '83, like January, mid January '83. And so I kept thinking, oh, if I get the right, if I get the right game, if I get the, you know, and so that's what I would do in those days. I, I, I love music. So I would listen for a song and then uh, it's like, oh yeah, well that's, you got to do something with, you got to do something with state, you know, it's such a, such a driving tune from Duran Duran. And so uh, the stuff, actually the, you know, the, the piece I did it, I used it for was the, uh, the, the second of the state Carolina games at uh, the at second Reynolds. one, which was at Reynolds Coliseum, m- middle of February. Um, and, you know, that was when, that was when Whip was still on the men with his broken foot. Um, and um, so that's the one I used it for. And then we just kept revisiting it. You know, they, the, the station would, would rerun that occasionally during the, during the run. And we re-edited it a couple of times and, uh, and, you know, and then I did it a couple, you know, like you, you saw, we did it a couple years later, but, uh, oh, it was just how that, that was kind of like, I would have been, it's not, how did I come up with it? How did I not mess it up? Cause if, you know, that's one of those, if you don't do it, you're a, you're a fool. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad to hear it. See, when I, when I started doing my videography, I would hear a song and I, I'm like you, I love music. I mean, oh. sport, sports and music is like that. Cause I do a music podcast too. But uh, yeah, when yeah. I hear a song and I'm like, that's that's got to go to something, you know. Just like, I mean, the Rocky music and, you know, is one thing that's right. so obvious. Yeah, but one of the other, you know, the other thing too is, uh, you know, one is I'm li- I'm listening for uh, lyrics. Do, do the lyrics fit? Can I, and can I and can I, if the lyrics there's if there are lyrics that don't fit, can I? You know, because I love music. Because the song, when I edit it, it has to make musical sense. You know, you have yeah. you have to make your edits where somebody yeah. doesn't go, "Oh my gosh, he just chopped the living daylights." Where you know the he <laughs> he he messed up that yeah. song, and so it's got to make musical sense to me. So so there's that. There's songs with lyrics. Do the lyrics make sense? Are they can can you can you apply them? Like I remember once doing one. You know, Duke had a quarterback named Anthony Dillwig uh, back in the late '80s who uh, kind of jumped on the scene out of nowhere with uh, when, when Spurrier was the coach there. 
and NXS had the song New Sensation. And I thought, oh my God, that's that's perfect for that's perfect for that. Yeah. And so yep. you know that's an example of listening for a song. But then you know, there are other times there's there's just a, you know, it's just a cool stinking song, man. I gotta I have to use ZZ Top Lagrange somehow, some way, somewhere. I had that song in my hip pocket for probably 10 years before I found a, an excuse to use it. Well, another thing we got to talk about too, and this came up every year. My mom and my grandma would love it. Start a football season. The Andy Griffith, what it was, was football. <laughs> oh my! When that would come on, they so, were they were they were couldn't <laughs> say nothing, and they loved that edit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, so, I if I remember if I remember right, um, the the original version of that, and I. I had kind of not growing up around here. Obviously, I, I knew who Andy was. I mean, you know, my, we were in my house. We were big watchers of the Andy Griffith Show growing up. Even though, you know, that was a national sensation. You know, when when that show was on the air, um, I don't think I realized until I got here just what an icon Andy is in our state. Um, and then, so I, I think if I remember right, I was kind of sort of familiar with some of his comedy monologues that he did um and uh you know but i i remember you would go to if you're a carolina you know back if you were a carolina went to a carolina game in the early 80s one of the things they would do is pre-game they would play that over the pa system before the game and and that's where i first started hearing it and I think it was Tom Suter said, you know, he was one of the ones who suggested that I do that as a, as a montage, do it as a photo essay. And the first time I did it was at a state Carolina football game at Carter Finley. Uh, so I'm trying to think. And he wanted to, I think it was 83 would have been the season. Uh, it was like Tom Reed was still the coach. Uh, and Dick Crum was at Carolina. And so that's, that was the first one. And then, I don't know where we came up with the idea. I think we were just kind of kicking around what we want to do to kick off football season the next year. And I, I don't know who said it, but you know, let's, why don't, maybe I said, let's, why don't I just take what it was with football and make it a all ACC East Carolina thing. And then, so we started doing that every year. And so I, you know, every year I put kind of fresh video in certain places and it was always fun to do. I was, it was just a hoot. Yeah. One thing that never changed though, was the referee at the end stepping in something falling down? Yeah, that never changed. That was always the same because I always watched for that. No, never did. Yeah, that that, that never was did. Great. No, I, and, and you know, and the thing about it was that referee falling down was from the very first one from yeah, that state. You can tell the one yeah, from the state I, that happened in that very first, that very first one. So that's why that's why it never changed. I I never found a better shot. Cause it looked like he stepped in something. <laughs> so you started doing like documentaries too. One of them was take me out to the bulls game, the Durham bulls. Game. Uh, what, yep. what was it like working with the Durham bulls? So, I mean, that, that documentary is great, by the way, awesome documentary. Uh, but thank you. Thank you. How so, did that come about? Yeah, Go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. No, how did that come about? All right. So, uh, yeah, so here's the, so this was what six? Is it like six years ago now? Something like that. Uh, we were uh, Jim Goodman, 
who you know, uh, at the time was the president and CEO of our company, um, you know, Jim loves technology. He's always about, we got to try something new. We got to, we got to find it. We got to find the new technology and be the first to, to be in it. You know, just like Sky 5 was the first. Livestar 5 was the first yeah. satellite truck. We were, you know, we had the first tall tower in North Carolina. Um, we were first to HD. We're first HD station in the country. Um, so in the same way, he came yeah. in and said, you know what? We want to be the first station to do 4K. And so he worked it out with uh, with our engineering folks and some of the folks with, uh, with Sony uh, uh, and Fujinon and to where we could, because you have to, to do 4K, you have to have a different camera, different lenses and everything. And he said, so we, he said, let's find something that we that will showcase the high resolution and the, and the, the high dynamic range, the high deep rich color of 4K. And we wanted something that uh, would obviously look great, uh, but also where we would have lots of access and, uh, uh, and a lot of control. And so, you know, as, as most of you folks will know, uh, the Durham Bulls are a division of Capital Broadcasting. And so we approached, you know, our, our sister company, uh, the Durham Bulls, about the possibility of doing this. And they were like, oh, man, bring it on. We, what do you, what do you want to, what do you want to do? And I mean, they even gave us, opened up a big part of their office to us. We set up all sorts, we made it basically our broadcast headquarters for the week. We had all our, we stayed, we were there for a, a four game series with, uh, with Charlotte um, and just had a great time. Um, it was fantastic. And we decided what we want to do was just, the, for those who haven't seen it, it's, what's it like to go to a Durham Bulls game, both as a fan and behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes as the team, behind the scenes and doing concessions, behind the scenes doing the production as far as the video wall and all of that and Wooly Bull, grounds crew, the whole deal. What's it like? And so that's what we did. And we made the decision that it, the documentary wouldn't have a narrator. So we basically used Patrick Keenis's voice as the, as the play-by-play guy, he, you know, he, he's kind of using the thread of the game of his calls of the game to get us through. And, we just, I mean, and I'm a baseball junkie. I could, you know, it was fan spending, you know, four days at the ballpark. Uh, sadly, we had a rain out in there. So we, we turned out only be three games. Uh, but, you know, and we had a one game where we went over and just kind of watched and, and, and went behind the scenes ourselves just to see see ourselves what was going on before we shot it. But it was we just had a had a fantastic time. It was great. Yeah, I'd do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> Not only though did you do sports stuff, but I just talk a little bit about the the other stuff you did. What go to Russia in 1992? What was that like? Uh, it was uh, it was life changing, man. Uh, it was like nothing I'd ever, ever dreamed of doing. So, uh, you know, let, crank up the flux capacitor. Let's go back to, you know, back to really the fall of 91. Uh, you know, that's the, we're talking the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, it, it, the Soviet Union is collapsing during the, ju- during the end of like the late fall, early winter uh, of 91. And, 
I get this call from my boss, the news director, who says, uh, we want you to, go, you're going to Russia. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to Moscow in, at the end of January. And Donna Gregory, uh, one of our just outstanding anchors, uh, is going to go with you. And, you. and it's like, what are we going to do? And they said, you're going to live with a family for a week. You're not going to stay in a hotel. You're going to live with a family for a week. So in essence, and this trip was all scheduled prior to the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, so we're going, we're getting, trying to make preps to go. We don't even know what we can take. We don't know what customs will be like. We don't know what going through the border, you know, landing at the airport, what that's going to be like, because there's a whole new government. And, uh, you know, uh, how much will it be like the Soviet Union? How much will it be like Western Europe? We didn't, we didn't have a clue, but it was, and, oh yeah, it's, Dece it's January in Moscow, which has the same latitude. When it, yeah, it has the same latitude, I think, as Fairbanks, Alaska. So it, I mean, most of the, most of the time there, it was um, about five to 10 degrees. It really warmed up to the high 20s one day. Um, but it was fantastic. Donna lived with one family and I lived with another. Um, I, I still communicate with my, my, my host, Vladimir Kozlov. We still communicate. Uh, to, um, I'm friends with two of his daughters on, on Facebook. It, how the world has changed. But I, I remember Stevie thinking the first night we got there, um, it was, it was, you know, we, it, it was a long day of travel to get there. And, uh, and it was hard communicating with the first couple of first couple of days because the language barrier was really, really thick. Uh, his, I will say this, his English was way better than my Russian. Uh, and so, uh, but, in, in, in a very broken way, Vladimir asked that first night, he says, do you want to go to Red Square? Oh, yes, I do. And so uh, we, it was, we took subway buses and all that sort of stuff to get from his apartment building down to the center of Moscow to Red Square. And I just remember standing there, seeing that classic view of Red Square with the Kremlin on the other side, Vladimir's, Vladimir Lenin's tomb here, St. Basil's Cathedral with the onion domes, the colorful onion domes off to your left. It's cold, a little bit of spit and snow. And I'm thinking, what is this country kid, small town boy from small town in Southeast Missouri? What are you doing in, in Russia just weeks after the Soviet Union is falling? This is, it, you can't make this stuff up. And, you know, and I just, I, I look back at the, the places I've been and the people that I've met. Uh, it's what a blessing the whole thing's been, man. You, you have definitely had a fantastic career with some of the things you've, you've done. I know one of your big thrills had to be, though, covering the state playoffs, the first round of state playoffs with your son, though. What was that like to be able to do that oh. with covering it with Jason? Well, you know, we it was great. Uh, we actually um, kicked around the idea a couple different years and just never were never able to pull it off. And uh, we just decided that year was, that was, that was when it was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, now, you know, the thing about it is, 
it's not like I hadn't covered high school football with Jason before. Right. But you know, a lot of times, you know, because he started when he was doing it when he was like six or seven years old. But uh, this time he was, you know, we talked about it and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it together and we're going to tag team the highlights. You're going to, you know, I'll do a line, you do a line, I'll do a line, you do a line. And it was just, it was, as a, as a dad, man, it doesn't yeah. get any better than that. It, just, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, and I'm, I, I couldn't, I could not be prouder of him. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's a, he's way better than I am all the way around when it comes to television. And he, he's just, he's a great young man and a great dad and a great husband. I couldn't be prouder. Yeah. I, I can, I can tell he takes after his daddy. Um, what were some of the things? No, that's the good. That's the good part. That's the good part. He doesn't take a, take after me in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit. I mean, some of the other documentaries you did—the seventy-five hours about Hurricane Florence, uh, the the twist of fate about the nineteen eighty-eight tornadoes. But what were some of the yep. and, and all of the the sports and this? What were what were your favorite things that you you've worked on? Oh man, you're gonna make me. You're gonna. You're gonna make me pick. Pick my favorite children, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard. Um, I mean, if this don't make you don't have to pick this. It is hard. I, um, you know, I have. I, I've been. Um, I've been honored to do some. Some, to do some, uh, be part of some great projects. And really, really Stevie, the way I, I I've come to see my role, uh, is, especially when it comes to documentaries, but it really goes back to the. the the, the my days in sports is really storytellers what I am and even back to the photo essay days those were those were how can I tell this story the story of the game do an honest rendition of the, of the of the game using music and pictures and and, and sound uh, and now in the world of documentaries how can you know we're t- we're doing these stories where people are you know and a lot of times handing us they're very these very precious things these stories of their lives. And um, then telling them, then taking them, telling them honestly, doing them, doing them the honor that they deserve, which is not overblowing them, but not underselling them as well. Telling them as truthfully and, and straightforward, and and stewarding these stories uh, from the people who tell them to us, give them to us, to the viewer. Um, I, you know, there was one we did a couple years ago. Uh, I mean, there's there's several we've done that I'm, I'm really really proud of. Um, we did one uh, called uh, Searching for a Fix several years ago. It was about the opioid epidemic in our country. Uh, and that was an example of, boy, some, po- some, some people, families, uh, people struggling with addiction shared some really, just really tender, delicate stories with us. And, you know, and I, I think we, you know, I hope we made some sort of a difference. I hope we raised some awareness that some that people understood the, uh, the the scope and depth of the problem. That would be that would be one. Uh, we've told a couple of stories about uh, people who were wrongly convicted, only to get out, only to have their their the, their, their sentences not only not just overturned but declared innocent. We did one on Greg Taylor called Six Thousand One Hundred Forty Nine Days. Um, that was a that was very challenging to work on. I'm really proud of that. And we did another one called uh, 
now I can't remember the name of it, but it was about Joseph Sledge and his, uh, uh, the obvious, an obvious suspect was the name of that one. Uh, and he was wrongly convicted. He's actually spent like 37 years in prison for murders he didn't commit. And I, to me, those, those stories are, they're heartbreaking, but, you know, you can find some justice is done, you know? So there's, there's lots of, we've done, I've done over, I actually had to do a count the other day for somebody. Uh, I was <laughs> kind of blown over. I've done over a hundred documentaries since I've been at WRL. Wow. And all of them are great. I mean, I could sit here and watch them all day. Like I told you, I messaged you today and I was like, I'm watching your stuff right now and what I could find up there. I was like, you know, this just took me way back. I, my brother came to my house and I said, um, guess who I'm interviewing tonight? And he was like, who? who? And I said, Jay Jennings. He was like, DJ Jennings. And I was like, yeah, DJ Jennings. So, I mean, you know, I've often wondered what you were up to and, and look, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you're a big baseball fan. You're probably going to watch some baseball tonight. But, uh, look, thank you so much for – There's a chance for, of that. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's always fun to, it's always fun to go, down, go down memory lane. And, and you know, and let, me, let me tell you just real quick, like, I, I think uh, one thing I want to – I'd like to get across is – I've never, I haven't, I don't know how many times I've even told, told the story. Where did the whole video montage thing come from? Uh, I had a, a friend of mine when I was at the University of Missouri. I, I met a guy named Chris Lee, and Chris was the chief photographer at his at his at KOCO in Oklahoma City, and he was coming in, coming up to the University of Missouri to cover an OU football game, and he showed me this story that he had done of, of this, this montage of OU. He, would, he had done several to both OU and Oklahoma State football games. And, uh, and I just thought they were mesmerizing. And, you know, and this is, of course, remember, now we're in, we're, we're talking, this is the early days of MTV. So I'm thinking, wow, I can do music videos to sports. Uh, and so actually the first couple I did actually were music that I got from off those tapes that I edited to. So really Chris is the, gets a, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't miss the fact that I got a lot of the inspiration in those early days. I just wanted, man, those are cool. I, I gotta be able to, you know, I gotta be able to do that, you know? And, and so as, as the old saying goes, I know a good idea when I steal one. So, um, you know, how, how thanks to Chris for that. And, you know, I, how hard was it to get the music back then? Because, you know, all you really had was on was cassette and, and vinyl back in the early 80s. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing yeah. with, with CDs. Yeah. How hard was it to get that music? I, you know, I mean, you had to go, you had to go to the record store and buy it. I mean, that's, that was the, you know, and, and there were times when I wanted a song and uh, either I couldn't find it or the record store didn't have it, it was sold out. You know, and, and it's not like I could go download it from, you know, Apple Music or, or, or Spotify. You know, that wasn't happening. So yeah. there were a handful of times that I just couldn't. So, so I, you know, that was the other thing. So some that, you know, I talk about finding a song and hanging on to it. I would find a song by the, by the 45 or the album or sometimes oh, if, you're, if you're really fortunate, there was an EP out there, you know, an extended play, full disc. 
and that we're getting sometimes. Oh, man. oh, you bet we are. Uh, <laughs> that's because nobody else will go out with me. Um, but uh, you know, an, an EP with uh, with an instrumental version of the song. Oh, that was like gold, man. That was like gold. So you know, those that that was fun. I mean, I, I and I again, I love music and uh, love sports, and it was just. And you know, I. Um, the other thing I don't want to miss here is there's a lot of stations who wouldn't have put up with this. You know, a lot of stations who, you know, had some 21, 22 year old kid fresh out of college, wet behind the ears. You know, he comes to him saying, Hey, let me do this. You know, let me take the highlights from the state Carolina game. And I'm going to whip you up something fantastic. I promise. And, you know, most, most sports directors, news directors are going to look at you like you just, you just sit down and shut up and, you know, go, go at it. You know, go over here and do this interview, you know? And so uh, I was, I was really fortunate. They, they gave me the, they gave me the opportunity to do them and, and do them over and over and over again. Cause, cause honestly, um, there's a lot of time involved in doing one of those. Cause it's not only shooting the game, but it's, you know, you're, you're losing a full day for a minute, 15 minute and a half minute, 45 story. So um, I am, I am grateful to the, to the news directors and sports sports guys who who let me take all that time and, and do those. And you know, you hit on something earlier, too, Stevie, that covering I, I was, you know, talking about blessed in timing. You know, to arrive in the early 80s and roll through all that I saw through, you know, through about 2000 covering sports here. Holy moly, man. You know, the you know, two of the first things I covered when I got here were Mike Krzyzewski's opening news conference and Jim Valvano's opening news conference. Wow. You, you were, especially from you know, the 80s, the 80s to the 90s, the, the oh. midnight, that was, gosh, you know, you, you couldn't ask for anything better than covering ACC basketball. Oh, yeah. You know, and, uh, and just, you know, um, grateful that, uh, my family put up with me while I was gone all that time and working the long hours because, you know, I loved it. And, you know, I, I did miss a lot at home. There's no question about that. So, uh, but, you know, it's been, I, I, I wouldn't trade it. It's been a great run. And, you know. Now, before um, I let you go, let me ask I, you I, this. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed a lot of the overstate players, Corciani and, and, and you know, Monroe and Carolina, yep. some of the Carolina players from, the, from that back then. And I've talked yeah. a little bit about, I know going to the bigger venues, they want to put boot, booties in the seat, get money. But don't you wish we still had yeah. like the Reynolds Coliseum and, and the Carmichael's? Oh, absolutely. Reynolds, I'm going to tell you this, being a Carolina fan, Reynolds, I went in there one time. And that place was so loud. I missed the days where they were right on the court. And you give it, it's like you give away an advantage yeah. for that team when you go to the bigger because you had those students there, yeah, and the noise meter. I, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I know it's yeah. got they got to get the money and all that, but those days, I miss those days. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wish it didn't have to be either or. And you know, I do appreciate the fact that State comes back and plays their heritage games at Reynolds. Uh, you know, and the, occasionally Carolina has come back and played a game at, at Carmichael. Uh, but yeah, I miss those. Uh, I will say, uh, I always said that for one game, for a big game of those three, Carmichael, Reynolds, and uh, Cameron. What am I dropping? 
Carmichael Reynolds and Cameron. Of course, Cameron. Um, for one game, for the big game, I, I think Reynolds was the best. I think Reynolds was. I would it go was, along with that. They, I would say they, that. Went, now, I will say this. Um, Cameron, game to game to game to game, is just – it's a ridiculous atmosphere. Um, and the, the old days of Carmichael Auditorium um, – I actually just had this conversation with Cullen Browder the other day because Cullen's a big Carolina fan. Um, Cam, uh, Carmichael, all three of them had, had a unique sound. They, each one sounded different when you were down on the baseline. And, and there was something about Carmichael that just sounded like a jet engine was revving. It, would just, it just sounded like the, you know, it was just, you could just feel the RPMs rolling up. You know, and maybe who knows? Maybe that was Jordan coming, you know, coming down the lane for all I know. But, <laughs> um, but, but Carmichael had its own, you know, and it's they, you know, they listed at ten thousand. It was probably they probably were able to wedge about, you know, they, they, I'm sure Dean uh, Dean had the fire marshal looking the other way because I'm sure Carmichael had well way more than ten ten thousand in it. But all three were great, and I miss them. I miss you yeah. Know, I, I missed you know. I missed the noise meter at, at at Reynolds. I missed the paper scoreboard at Carmichael at at the end because I always looked yeah. at that. Yeah, when it, you know, and you know why that was you know why that was there at Carmichael. The video that was for Dean's game film. Yeah, that Somebody, was for, yeah for Dean's who game did, film. Yep. Who did I interview? I think it was Matt Doherty. I interviewed Matt Doherty, and I think he was telling me that was the purpose of that was for the game film. But yep, you know, man, I could yep, see that. So whenever they came to that end of the court, he knew he knew what time it was. Sir, I could sit here and talk to you yep. all night about yep. this stuff, but uh, you know, I know <laughs> it was well, ten after eight now, so I'm gonna let you go. But oh, wow. thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, it feels like we haven't been talking about twenty minutes. But thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's, it's an honor to be able to talk to you and to share these memories. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm honored that you ask, man. Honored that you ask. And I, I appreciate all the folks uh, over the years who've just had so many kind of things to say. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't grow up in North Carolina, but I got here as soon as I could. Yeah. And you definitely want us now, that's for sure. <laughs> all right guys that's going to do it for tonight like i said mr jay jennings a legendary jay jennings hey thank you so much i i, I can't oh, man. i can't tell oh, you enough how, how much that meant to me <laughs>